Welcome to Faked, an original podcast highlighting the underground world of counterfeit illegal items around the world and how to spot them. Whether you're traveling the world or buying online, Faked will be your guide. With your host, Joseph Rowan, you'll explore the many ways counterfeiters can pull off disguising everyday consumer items as the genuine good. Hey, short round, I'm going to need you in my office stat. Okay. I've been cataloging a lot of the artifacts you've been bringing into my office here, and... Oh. Oh, jeez. Okay. So many to go through still, but I'm about a week behind here, and I just turned this, uh, this fella around, and it literally says Made in China underneath it. Okay, short round. I know I don't pay you at all or enough. But um, I'm gonna need better work here, okay? So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna bring you through some of the steps here uh, at Indiana Jones University here, okay? I'm gonna bring you through and we're gonna learn what makes uh, artifacts authentic and you know how some people can fake those, so. Okay, you're not fired yet, but um, we'll keep you on the books. But uh, let's, uh, yeah, let's go through these, okay? Welcome back, everybody. I will not be staying in character. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not actually well-versed in a lot of the Indiana Jones stuff, but I thought it would be so applicable to do an Indiana Jones beginning there that I just couldn't pass it up. So, as you can guess, we are doing a fake artifact episode. So exciting, okay? I know a lot of people get into the like the archaeological um, dig sites and... And after The Dig came out, uh, I think this year on Netflix, that really, I think, uh, sparked a lot of people to be interested in this stuff. So why not do it? You know, there is a lot of speculation on artifacts. Um, If you watch a lot of like Pawn Stars and, you know, things of that nature, you get to see how these things are proven wrong almost instantaneously to a trained eye. You know, they can look at something and be like, yeah, that's not that's not real. Um And that's kind of what we're all about, you know, is how can you get informed on something and then, um, you know, share your knowledge to help other people out. So first off, we're going to go over what is a um, artifact, you know, what is an artifact? So Webster describes it as a usually simple object, such as a tool or ornament, but not limited to uh, showing human workmanship or modification as distinguished from a natural object. So we'll be talking about the difference between archaeological and geological later on. It's important. So um, they did go on to say especially an object remaining from a particular period. So typically, I believe that it needs to be some sort of like aged uh, in order to be artifacts. You don't really hear a lot about like uh, the Game Boy Color artifact or something like that. Although if you've been to Nintendo World in New York City, they do have like a remaining original Game Boy that's just like been through heck and back. So I don't know. I don't know if you'd consider that um, old enough to be considered an artifact. But, you know, artifacts are remnants of ancient past cultures. Uh, They can be seen in museums all over the world. But since uh, the past is all around us, just about anybody anywhere can stumble upon something that uh, looks old. So like an arrowhead, I'm sure you've kind of been in a field somewhere and maybe picked one up or, you know, went intentionally hunting for them or a pot shirt or, you know, a worked shell. So 
you know, something that's kind of trapped in dirt and looks crazy, not just something on the beach. Although, uh, I guess, you know, maybe a shell that's been turned into a spearhead or something like that. That's, you know, geological would be just finding an old shell, but you know, things like that. So it does specify a fossil. However, I don't know if that, that doesn't seem to be an artifact because the definition being human workmanship or modification. So I don't know about that one. Um, I guess, you know, going on, it says just something strange. So yeah, they said fossil and bone. And I think that doesn't fall within that, but maybe there's like some like umbrella term for it, but I'm going off of a good old Webster here. So how do we find out about the thingamajig that you just found or inherited or, you know, potentially bought somewhere because you can buy these things. Um, you know, that's generally where you can actually find the fake ones is the ones that you purchase because people, you know, they want to capitalize on this stuff. When you go down to like, and pretty much any, um, like, like, let's say you're going to the temple of the sun down in Mexico, you know, they've got all the artifacts right outside of there. You know, they're, you know, they, they're trying to convince you, uh, that you can buy a replica, like, Mayan um, spearhead or something like that, you know, for like $14 and you're just salivating at it because, oh my gosh, well, they're here. They must have found it here. They want to sell it to me. But uh, I will 100% tell you that all those are fake and I think it's also illegal. No, I know for a fact it's illegal to take artifacts from one country to another without like declaring them. Um, And then when you do declare them, uh, they take them from you. So, you know, the, that's kind of crappy that did sell you this stuff anyways, you know, only for you not to be able to take it home. So things that we're going to ask uh, yourself when you do find these things or buy these things is, is my object archaeological or geological? This uh, goes right back to the the definition there. So was it made by human hands or was it a natural formation? Okay, next up, how do I find out what kind of artifact it is? So that branches into what kind of artifact we're talking about. Um, Next is who made my artifact or what culture does my artifact come from? That may be slightly harder simply because um, most, well, I mean, obviously, if you find it in the ground, it's typically going to be from that region. But if you purchase something, you know, it, it could... It could have some sort of COA attached to it to where it would tell you, but you'd have to go in depth and see what kind of stone it's made of, uh, maybe what kind of designs are on it that could represent a certain culture. But um, next up is how old is it? Um, Is it a fake? And how much is it worth? Those are all the kind of the important questions you need to ask yourself. So branching into... um, authentication uh, requires a large bundle of specialized skills. It's not exactly um, something you just kind of stumble into or, or just kind of innately uh, knowledgeable about. You know, you may know a few things here and there, but um, in order to get something really certified, you're going to need some specialized individuals. These are people that have devoted their life to the history um Usually, like, in a region, I think, uh, from at least the experts on Pawn Stars that I'm referring to, seems like they're very, like, uh, West, like let's say, Western culture um, or Far East, you know, Asian influence or Latin America, that kind of stuff. 
seems like uh, they don't cross around. I'm sure there are some that dabble in everything, but, um, you know, a bunch of go-getters out there. Um, one approach to this is art historical. So artifacts uh, produced by any given societies have various stylistic markers, okay? Ceramic pots have certain distinctive shapes. Uh, paintings employ certain motifs. Metalwork is done in various ways and so on. So more of what uh, the medium is and then what is being applied to that. So you can always kind of check out what paint was used, if it was used from dyes or bugs or Sharpie, you know, that kind of stuff. So that's a way to determine just from a, a, a base, you know, just looking at it. Okay. So, so by paying close attention to any style of an artifact, one may be able to rule out the uh, authenticity of an item. However, since all of the stylistic stuff is knowable, that also means it's reproducible by a sufficiently skilled forger. So this is the kind of stuff you run into is like, all right, well, these are surefire ways of determining what this uh, artifact is and whether it's real or not. But if you know that, the counterfeiters uh, could potentially know that too. And that's what they're actually going to be searching is how can I make this as replicated as possible. How am I going to fool somebody into purchasing this for well above what I spent into it? Okay. So it's a whole business. Okay. The other approach to this is physical. Okay. Those societies also used a limited range of techniques and materials and aging is likely to cause distinctive changes over time. These may be investigated with chemical tests, microscopic analysis, and so on. Uh, these are trickier to fake, but it does not mean that's impossible. So we've actually talked about this, um, just kind of an analysis on art um, and just examining what mediums were available at the time. That's really important is uh, like the techniques. You know, if there's something that's so etched perfectly that it seems like it could only have been done through a computer, then that might be a possibility that it was. And there's aging techniques um, that we'll go into a little more uh, in depth uh, in order to do this. They do this on like ba uh, ba baseball cards and stuff like that where they'll put like lemon juice on it and then they'll stick it out in the sun and it will just age the crap out of it and just um, maybe brushing dirt onto it and just things of that nature where it, only age would be able to create some of this stuff uh, that you see on real artifacts only age could produce that. And then, um, you know, the physical stuff as in smell, like give it a little whiff. You know, we've talked about this and, and actually a lot of our stuff is, you know, use all your senses, you know, how you touch things and you look things and you, you I mean, I guess, I guess you can listen to things too, but, um, remember your nose is also a very, very important factor of that. So give it a little sniff, especially if it's terracotta, man, you've got to smell that earth, you know? There's just something about aged earth that's so different than something that was flamed in an oven somewhere. So this is kind of a cool example. So the textbook example of how um, this can go wrong is the Getty Curos. Okay, back in the 80s, the Getty Museum, as approached by an antiquities dealer, offering them a statue of a rare type. There were some warning flags related to the style of the artifact, but nothing absolutely ruling out the authenticity of it. So they performed some chemical tests. Scientists uh, examining the statue determined that the kind of weathering found on the, the other statues uh, of the same age and material as the Kyros 
was chemically identical to that of the Kyrus itself. So, you know, you think you're thinking you're in the clear there, you know, this air leader right on the money. So the Getty bought the statue. Not long thereafter, however, someone purchased a paper describing how to artificially create identical weathering to that. It's generally regarded as uh, a fake these days, but the Getty bought it because the forager was at the time scientifically one step ahead of everybody else. Okay, so this is an example of how somebody can get a one off by developing a new technique that we may not be um, enlightened on, which if that's the case, I mean, somebody could be out millions of bucks only to determine maybe a week or two later that, oh, my gosh, this particular technique is, uh, I don't even know, I just coming up with something that would totally just decimate you know, the, the claims that maybe the science community has, if they look at something and it's so, uh, so spot on for the time, it's been perfectly aged. I mean, okay. So like, let's say, and I'm just spitballing here. Let's say somebody's able to 3d print, um, something, but, um, with that, they're able to create small anomalies in it, uh, to give it its identity and give it its aging and, you know, 3D printing could really, you know, send, send things into a spiral there. I know 3D printing is pretty awesome, but you can, you can throw in incidentals making it look old. And, I mean, you can 3D scan these artifacts too and recreate them to the freaking millimeter. It's ridiculous. So it is really hard for a professional to determine the age or characteristics of an artifact um, with even the best picture. And it's harder still to determine if it's real or not. So eventually you may just need to take the object to an archeologist or an archeologist. I don't know why I said it like that. And then ask them. So if you know where the object came from or have an idea of how old it is or what culture it belonged to, you might consider finding a specialist in the area. But if you're clueless about the weird thing that, uh, you found on your way home from wherever, just reach out to the nearest archaeologist, historian, or geologist. So how do you do that? It's not like everybody's got a Rolodex with their favorite archaeologist. And I don't know if there's a lot of online um, applications for you to to find. I guess like instead of Grinder, it's like Finder and you're finding uh, archaeologist. I don't know. Don't steal that idea, guys. Um so it's best practiced uh, to find someone near to you just simply because you don't have to travel long. You don't have to send it somewhere. So artifact identification is tricky and it might be helpful if you could easily just take the object to go see them. In addition, if you find or if you found it locally, the odds are better that someone local will be able to readily identify something that was, you know, made locally. So if you had you know, the Ibec tribes in your area. Um, Somebody may have done crazy amounts of research because it's local and uh, they are there particularly to look at more of the, uh, the local, you know, fair. So they're there to look up what you may have found and you may have beaten them to it. So if you don't know which category it falls into, start with any one of these three, historian, archaeologist, geologist. Someone who teaches or works in archaeology, history, or geology will likely recognize what category the object falls in. And they may also have an idea on who you can contact next. So if you pick somebody local, you might also find a new friend. You know, that's the upside to that. So 
it's kind of the upside to everything. You know, if you're talking to somebody, you can make a new friend out of them. So luckily archeologists are much closer than you think. An archeologist could be as close as the nearest anthropology or classical history or art history department of your local university. So if you do have a university in your area, you know, you might as well browse their uh, catalog and see if they've got an on-hand archaeologist or geologist. And most of the time they will. So there are, you know, if you, if you don't have anybody local, let's say you're in, you're in the middle of nowhere and that's where you found your stuff. So there are U.S. contacts for archaeologists. Um, so it's the graduate programs in archaeology. Um, you're going to want to look that up. You're going to want to look up the Archaeological Institute of America. If you're able to send this stuff out, this is the best way to do it. So graduate programs in Latin America, Association for Latin American Art, uh, graduate programs at the U.K. So it really is depending where you're at. This is um, not speaking to any of you in particular, but if you're located in the UK, you've got, you know, the graduate programs there. Um, Another place to find knowledgeable people um, in amateur and professional societies um, is in cultural resource management firms. So the I or AIA affiliated societies, um, archaeological societies from uh, projectilepoints.net, National Association of State Archaeologists, and the cultural resource management firms, uh, archaeologicalfieldwork.com. So once you've identified a person to talk to, you might be able to just call them or email them, in which then you're going to want to describe your object and then where you find it. You're going to want to make sure that you're not wasting their time. So if it seems pretty interesting to them, and, and then if you can ask, if you can send maybe an image beforehand, it's possible that the person you, you reach will be able to just identify it uh, based off of that, or they can recommend kind of a better person to contact on the basis of your description or image. So it is possible that an archaeologist or archaeologist won't be able to uh, be available right away. I'm sure they're busy people. So many of them are are either gone excavating or, you know, making dinner for their lovely fam, their archaeology family, or maybe they got short round uh, with them and they're, you know, somewhere in the jungle somewhere. So I'd send them an email. Calling's probably not going to be the best way to do that. So be prepared to tell them where you found it. Was it in a field, in a shop, inherited from your great aunt, whatever. Anything about the object's context. So um, that'll help with the identification. They may want to take a good look at it uh, through a microscope, but uh, professional archaeologists archaeologists will not take it from you. So that's a good thing. You know, as you've watched the Indiana Jones you know, they're always fighting. All these archaeologists are fighting over like the, I don't know, the monkey head that gives you eternal life or something like that. Um, be rest assured they do have respect for this, so they're not going to steal it from you. Uh, and if the person tells you that they would be happy for you to uh, email an image, remember nobody these days should open email attachments unless they are certain about where they came from. So send a few images, different angles of the artifact and put it in something for scale. So throw that banana beside it um, and they'll be able to determine some sizing at least with that. So um, we're going to take a little break here and we're going to come back and we're going to look at 10 fake archaeological finds. These are in the books, sometimes embarrassing, but uh, we'll take a little break and we'll be back.
Okay, we are back, and we're gonna go through these really quick. Um, I'm hoping it doesn't get like monotonous, so let's just go through here real quick. The James Ossuary, okay? This limestone coffin was discovered in Israel in 2002 and was thought to be the Ossuary of Jesus. Uh, Jesus's brother James, not Jesus. But uh, the Ossuary itself dates back to the first century, but the carving on it that claimed that the remains were the brother of Jesus is a modern forgery made to look old by the addition of simple chalk solution. Something as simple as that. They were able to, you know, con an entire, uh, it looks like, yeah, it was it was a museum. So an, an entire museum was conned because of a chalk solution. It's crazy. So number two is the oldest star map. In 1999, a disc did, Depicting the stars and planets was found by two amateur metal detectors in Germany. They claimed it was 3,600 years old and tried to sell it to German museums. A professor examined the disc and pronounced it no more than two or 300 years old. So let's say example of somebody just kind of um, jumping the punch where they saw something that was old, assumed it was very old, and then found out it was only two or 300 years old. So that was kind of a, you know, somebody wasn't trying to get something over on somebody, it doesn't seem like. So number three, the Calaveras skull. In February 1866, some miners in California found a human skull buried beneath a layer of lava. It fell into the hands um, of the state geologist of California, who said the skull proved that humans, mastodons, and elephants had coexisted at some point in the time in California. However, tests conducted um, at Harvard showed that the skull was of recent origin, and one of the original miners admitted the whole thing was a hoax. So they came clean in the end. But they tried to pull one over on California state geologists. So, number four is Estrusen Terracotta Warriors. The poor Metropolitan Museum of Art got taken several times by the Riccardis, a family of art foragers. You know, if they if they had that title on them, you you know, they should have been a little more aware, right? Hi, I'm Riccardis from a family of art foragers. <laughs> um, in 1915, this family sold a statue called Old Warrior to the Met. In 1916, they sold a work called The Colossal Head, which experts decided had been part of a seven meter, uh, which is like 23 feet, statue. The big warrior was sold to the Met in 1918 for $40,000. So that is a lot of money. It wasn't until 1960s uh, that tests showed manganese in the glaze, an ingredient that had never been used by the Etruscans. So... A sculptor who had been involved in the forgery then came forward and signed a confession that the pieces were all fakes. But I feel like a lot of people got a lot of enjoyment out of that over those years. I mean, that was 50 years, so I don't know. Number five is the forged Persian princess. In 2000, a mummy was discovered in Pakistani Bolshistan that was apparently uh, Rodajun, a daughter of King Xerxes I of Persia. The mummy was displayed at the National Museum of Pakistan in November 2000. Studies eventually showed that the coffin was maybe 250 years old. The matter underneath the body was at most five years old, and the woman had died only two years before. The body remains unidentified and unburied to this day. 
All right, number six is the Piltdown Man. In 1912, pieces of skull and jawbone were found at Piltdown near Uckfield in East Sussex, England. They were thought to belong to a form of early man, but in 1953, scientists agreed that the specimen was actually the skull of a man with the jawbone of an orangutan. So that one got by, okay? Those were two different animals, you know, one animal and one human. So it's pretty crazy that that one got by. So Tiara of Satifernes. You were learning a lot of new words. So this regal artifact was brought by the, or bought by the Louvre in 1896 because they believed it had belonged to Scythian King Cytophernes. Uh, experts at the museum declared it to be somewhere between late 3rd century BC or early 2nd century BC, but quite a few experts challenged those dates. It turned out that the skilled goldsmith had been commissioned to make the tiara for an archaeological friend. The goldsmith was so good that it passed muster. The museum was extremely embarrassed when they learned the truth and hid the tiara away for years. Oh, shame. So, number eight, Mississippi State Capitol Forgery. So, in the 1920s, the Mississippi Department of Archives and History bought a collection of Native American artifacts. Oddly, including in this grouping was an Egyptian mummy uh, in 1969. A medical student asked the museum for human remains to study, and the museum allowed him to study the mummy. He he discovered that it was mostly made of paper mache with a few animal rib bones thrown in to make it appear authentic. So it seems like it was a um, child's art project that gone awry but it seems like they probably made a pretty penny off it. So the Cardiff Giant, okay? This 10-foot-tall petrified man was discovered in 1869 by workers digging a well in Cardiff, New York. The giant was made from a block of gypsum and shipped to the farm in Cardiff where it was buried for a year before being discovered. So it's smart, you know, they age a little bit. By the well builders, P.T. Barnum offered to buy it and was turned down. Sue had his own build and claimed his was real and the Cardiff Giant was a fake. They were both proven fake, though, in 1870. Oh, my gosh. P.T. Barnum, you skis. ball. Both of you are skis balls, but P.T. Barnum, you're skis. Okay, number 10. So last but not least, Michigan Relics. Okay, the Michigan Relics were found by Jace, or James Scottford in 1890. The relics included a clay cup with symbols and carved tablets. Scottford and Michigan's Secretary of State, Daniel Soper, uh, showed thousands of objects found in 16 counties of Michigan. The Detroit News even reported that they have found copies of Noah's Diary, okay? Noah's Diary found in Michigan. I mean, that, that one seemed pretty hard to believe. That seems like it was on them at that point. Anybody who believed that, I would say probably was on them and, and nobody else. That's ridiculous. That's a ridiculous found or find. Archaeologists agree that the artifacts were made with contemporary tools, and oddly, no more were found after Scottford and Sofer died. That's pretty crazy. Um. So yeah, guys, that's uh, that pretty much sums up what I wanted to talk about when it came to fake archaeological finds or just artifacts in general. Um, I hope this one was pretty fun. I actually really enjoyed it. I learned. I think I learned a lot from it. Uh, 
but you guys, if you guys are interested more, I would recommend watching Pawn Stars. I know that sounds kind of like, you know, why would I watch Pawn Stars to look at artifacts? But there's so much that comes on there and a lot of you learn a lot from it. So, guys, remember with faked items, uh, there are those who produce them, those who purchase them, and those that listen to this podcast. I will see you guys in the next episode. Bye.